It's the Sci-Fi Show. Welcome to episode 34 of the Sci-Fi Show. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And welcome to any new listeners from Blueberry or from the Seventh Sun feed itself. Hope you all enjoy the show. And the Sci-Fi Show, for those of you who aren't sure what this is, is a podcast that looks at questions of science fiction and philosophy. Today we have a special Seventh Sun episode, where we'll look at some of the ideas found in the novel. And later we have an interview with Seventh Sun author J.C. Hutchins himself. Now, the novel Seventh Son is rich with interesting philosophical thought experiments, mainly in the form of the Nepth Charge and Sijak technology. It raises questions of personal identity, immortality, and the nature of consciousness. But the first, and possibly the most interesting question, is what would it be like to Sijak someone, or Nepth Charge them? What would your experience of the world be? In an earlier interview with J.C. Hutchins, he commented that looking at the world with a different set of hands in them would be strange. But more than that, I was also led to wonder, in the philosophy of mind, there's a number of questions over a thing called qualia, which is the visual experience in the world. So, you know, your perception of red or the way you hear certain sounds and tastes and things like that. Would they be different? Would all of your colour vision be off when you woke up in the other person's body? Probably let us settle a lot of ancient questions that puzzle about such sorts of things, but that require direct access to someone else's first-person consciousness, which this technology would allow you to get. Unfortunately, it's still fictional at this time. Or perhaps not unfortunately. Now the next question to consider is one of personal identity. Consider John Alpha, or John Alpha Prime. What does it mean for him to be sijacked into someone else? Who's the real John Alpha, the original or the copy, or both of them? How does John Alpha know that he isn't a clone, and that one of his clones isn't the original John Alpha? Doesn't seem like there's any way to tell. What does it mean to have a copy of yourself running around? If you die... Does John Alpha continue in the guise of the other person? Now, it seems pretty obvious that that two different sidejacked people that are both now John Alpha from some previous time will have different experiences. And so they'll no longer be identical people. In a sense, neither of them will be John Alpha anymore. Certainly, even if you go back to the original, none of them will be the John Alpha that was originally copied and now resides inside the DNA computer. And what would happen if John Alpha in the DNA computer sijacked John Alpha Prime? Ooh, I hope I didn't give a plot point away. What makes you you? Is it just the collection of your memories? The memory recording technology would seem to imply that maybe that is the case. That you can be summed up as the collection of your memories and then overwritten onto someone else. And what about Doug Devlin? Here's a man a couple of days away from execution who was later executed, but beforehand had his memories copied into the DNAC, 
so that he could be used to Nepth charge into people and become a disposable soldier. Are these all Doug Devlin? Which one? Did the original Devlin die, or does he continue to live? And what of the clones themselves? They all have identical memories up to 14 years of age with the original John Alpha. Yet from there, their lives diverge, and they've all become separate individuals. Some doctors, some soldiers, even a priest. And a question that Father Thomas wrestles with being, does he have a soul because he's a clone? Now, depending on what understanding of the idea of a soul you have is, the answer could be yes or no. If you subscribe to some sort of idea that the soul is put in at conception and is unique to the individual, then perhaps he doesn't. Although something like William Hasker's emergent dualism would allow for a soul to be created when the memories are uploaded into the blank clone because the soul is something that emerges from the operation of the physical body. And what happens to people that are nepth-charged? Assuming they have a soul in some sense that survives the death of their body, it would seem that they're killed when their body is nepth-charged. But perhaps something more horrible happens. Perhaps their soul is effectively overwritten with Doug Devlin, and they cease to exist, or in effect become Doug Devlin rather than dying. Perhaps this is more horrible, I don't know. And although Nepth Charge doesn't appear to be reversible because of the brain damage that it causes, it does appear that maybe Sijak is. Hints have been given to that effect in the story. I guess I'll have to wait for book three to find out. What happens to the consciousness that's been Sijacked? Seems rather reminiscent of Goa'uld infestation in Stargate. In Stargate, there have been a number of episodes that have dealt with the idea of a suppressed consciousness in the host that is able to come to the fore from time to time, although the go all themselves deny that anything of the host remains. Is the same true of Sijak? Much have to wait and see, I suppose. And what of the question of immortality? A.U. Rookman appears to be intent on continuing to rule his empire through his son by Sijacking him. But what sort of immortality is this when A. Rookman is copied into the DNAC and downloaded into his son? Who is it that wakes up? It seems that the ancient A. Rookman on his deathbed is still alive, and presumably his conscious experience continues, and now there's a copy of A. Rookman whose conscious experience continues in the body of his son. Is this immortality? It would seem that the old A.U. Rookman is still going to die, even if part of him is going to live on in, in Rookman Jr. I guess if this is the only sort of immortality you can get, I suppose you'd have to take what you can get, but it seems something short of what people think of when they think of immortality itself. And finally, the question of consciousness in general. What does it mean to be a consciousness? Some of your memories, as suggested earlier, something deeper. These are all open questions to be pondered when listening to Seventh Son. Or at least I know I ponder them. Hopefully I've given you something to think about further. And we're going to explore 
a number of these topics further in later episodes of the Sci-Fi Show if you want to come back and listen to them, although they'll be with something other than Seventh Son, probably. If you have a look through the show's archive of outcasts, you'll be able to find a number of episodes that interview people about the philosophy of mind, and if you subscribe to the feed or check out the SciFiShow.com site at the SciFiShow.com, and that's fire with a PH, you'll find a couple of interviews coming up with David Chalmers and Richard Swinburne, both of whom are world-renowned philosophers of mind. And now, as mentioned earlier, I have an interview with J.C. Hutchins about getting through the second Seventh Son novel. And I'll be back after that with a few concluding thoughts. Thank you for joining us again on the Sci-Fi Show, J.C. Hutchins. Oh, Jason, it's a pleasure to be here. I love coming on the Sci-Fi Show, and it's, a, it's always so much fun. Thanks for having me. Not a worry. So book two is now complete. How many people have been listening, and how's that all been going? Well, sure. The second novel just concluded, as I'm, I, I, talk, I spoke with you just before we got into the interview, that I've just finished mixing down the last episode, of the last chapter of the book, with the, the big climatic ending, and that going to go up later on tonight. By the time your listeners hear this, it'll already be live. But it's been a really interesting, crazy kind of ride for me these past uh, probably six months or so. I started uh, doing uh, Seventh Son Book 2 back in uh, late September. And we started out with around 8,000, maybe 7,000 listeners. And that has gone up to around more than 20,000 listeners now. So the, the word has really been getting out about the podcast and um it is it's been intense i spend nearly all of my time at home if i'm not recording or editing i'm answering emails and trying to work on my next big scheme or trying to get my next you know guest reader on the podcast so it's a well-deserved vacation that i will be taking in a few days (laughs) so when can we expect book three to come out seventh son book three will be released in early july so folks will have to wait about three months between the ends of uh, end of book two and to beginning of book three. This is very similar to the, the time gap between books one and two. Okay. So any chance of getting it in print anytime soon? Uh, oh, man. Well, man, you know, if you had asked me that question a month ago, I would have said, well... Probably not. I was still looking for a literary agent, and I was still releasing the novel. Uh, Things are looking more promising now uh, within the past few weeks. I pinged several literary agents back in late January and was happy to get some some very receptive responses for them and uh, as as you know time kind of drew on it was you know it kind of became time to select one and this was a this is a something that most writers kind of dream of and it, it's been something that I've been dreaming of for 5 years since I started writing the book back in 2002 it's one of those fiery hoops that you have to leap through as a writer because most mainstream publishers won't actually accept unagented work they they have a middleman they need that middleman the agent to present them with with properties and books to to publish and so getting published isn't your immediate goal as a writer your immediate goal is to to find an agent and so after five long years that has happened 
And that happened early this early last week, and then I have done some rewrites for book one descent but and sent it off to the manuscript and as of me speaking to you right now, the manuscript is now sitting on the desk of two publishers, so that is really happening much faster than I expected, and you know I'm just kind of holding on for dear life and <laughs> wondering where this thing's going to take us cool well, you know you wrote a good book it's I guess we'll see how book three turns out, but it's been good so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and honestly, you know, while while I admire the opinions of you know the, the folks who who listen, you know, and it's like it's it's up to right now, it's up to editors and agents, and you know, we just kind of have to kind of put our hands together and cross our fingers or do whatever we do to to get the good mojo going. But I'm I'm really excited about it, and I, and I hope to see it on a bookshelf maybe you know in in a year or so. I I just have no idea. Okay, so you've decided to kill off a large number of your characters in this book. I see. <laughs> yeah, not only not only uh, you know major you know the thing the thing is I get a lot of grief for for murdering my my children and and people become very close to uh, some of the characters in the book and yeah in, in book two in bo- the end of book one we saw the demise of Michael and in the in book two we saw the the death of Jonathan and Doctor Mike and and I get a lot of grief about that but what no one seems to really kind of complain about is the fact that about halfway through the halfway through book two several nuclear warheads scream across the the atmosphere and and slay millions of Saudi Arabians and no one seems to care. <laughs> we don't have any connection with them. So <laughs> <laughs> No, I know. Well, you should have seen well, you know, I'm very relieved about that because I remember writing that whole sequence and in can kind of concocting the plot of of book 2 in that, you know, the big one of the big plot twists was that was that, you know, Saudi Arabia would get nuked and I felt really bad. I felt I, I felt emotionally guilty for murdering, you know, for committing genocide. And what I'm happy to see is that no one, no one seems to complain about it. So uh, <laughs> I shouldn't feel so bad about it. So I guess the real question is, now that you've let the plot out of the bag, are the black fans waiting outside to take you away? Ah, you know, kidding. Well, I hope that my phone lines aren't being tapped, and I hope that this Skype call isn't being monitored. <laughs> But but if but if you know if early July comes and goes and you haven't heard from me or you haven't heard the book three begin, you know something has happened. Something terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll just have to keep our ear to the ground. Yeah, please, please, yeah, and call you know call, call your local law enforcement if if you don't hear the podcast on, <laughs> on, in early July. So, what was it like getting written up in the New York Times? Uh, a little brain bending. This was one of these things of I used to be, I, be, I used to be a newspaper journalist, and so uh, I'm very familiar with with the interview process. Being on the other end of of the the phone call or the other end of the the questioning, and so this was very very interesting in that it was you know the frickin' New York Times, but a lot you know I'm really kind of glad that for instance I have spent so much time uh, promoting my my novel and and doing as many interviews as I can with with podcasters like. Like you, because the the questions and the answers, you know, the answers came very quickly and and very and very easily, and it, it's as if it had kind of I'd been prepared for it in a way. Seeing your name in print was really kind of really kind of strange, but but being able to contact you know hundreds of people very quickly when the story was was posted online and saying to them, hey guys, if you if you have a minute, please spread the word. I'd like to get folks blogging and talking about this as much as I can, and then receiving 
a third of those, you know, uh, let's say I sent out 300 emails. I received 100 back saying, we did our part, congratulations. And then, you know, and then I start to see it appear in the in the blogosphere and hearing people talk about it in other podcasts, and that was really rewarding. So for me, I, I, I really... It, life hasn't really changed much, I, I assure you. The dishes still need to be done, and the laundry still has to be washed, and the podcast still needs to get out. So, you know, maybe at some point during the hiatus between books two and three, I'll actually be able to kind of sit back and, and say to myself, I was, you know, I was in the New York Times, but it, it really, it's, it's been, in a way, it's kind of been minimal impact. I, I don't really, I don't really know uh, what the fuss is all about. Fair enough. So, any teasers for book three you can give us, or we're just going to have to wait many, many months? Hmm. Well, let's see. Well, I by the end of book two, we have discovered that the clones have been following a very uh, a very important trail of clues left for them by the villain, and and what it has ultimately led to is a double cross. They they have been going nowhere fast. They have been on a wild goose chase. John Alpha has been misdirecting them, and. What's really kind of interesting is that by the end of book two, the clones realize that not only are they still alive, which shouldn't be happening according to Alpha's plan, they should be they should be dead. But they have these they have tantalizing hints picked up during their adventure that they are going to try to have to puzzle together to figure out what Alpha's true intentions are. And very, very astute listeners can actually pick up on nearly all of the, the schemes that are happening um, that, that John Alpha has up his up his sleeve. So by the time book three begins, there is going to be a, a brief lull in the action, as very similar to the end of book two, where we're just kind of regrouping and we're, we're figuring out what's going on. But then as soon as Alpha's intentions are revealed the book takes off and it just it it does not freaking stop and i am this is this has kind of been as a storyteller this has been the the part of the the tale that i've been the most desperate and the and to tell because you know this is in a, in a three act story the the third act is where everything is is clicking and and the the story just doesn't let up and this is what i've been waiting for for a year now to tell so i'm really excited about book three. okay Great. Maybe it was better not to know. Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us today. I look forward to listening to book three when it comes out, and I know I've enjoyed the first two books immensely. Oh, Jason, thank you for having me. It is always a pleasure, and I am still listening and still loving your show. So thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So I hope everybody enjoyed that brief discussion of the philosophy of Seventh Son, as well as the interview with JC. And if you'd like to come back, as I said, interview with Dave Chalmers and Richard Swinburne coming up. Those are really good, and I hope you all enjoy them. If you want to know more about The Sci-Fi Show, you can find it at thescifishow.com, and that's fi with a ph. And as I said, we'll be continuing to explore some of these different ideas in future episodes of the show. Thanks for listening, and I can be reached at the sci-fi show at gmail.com, as well as the discussion boards at scifishow.com. This 
program is copyright Jason Rooney 2005 and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. The song Electrogun was used by permission of Nova Surfer. More great sci-fi surf guitar can be found at www.novasurfer.nl.